Hi folks. Well, here we are again. Uh, it's Saturday, um, the day before Easter. I couldn't be there yesterday with you and, and I'm pretty positive I'm not going to be able to be with you tomorrow. Uh, I am sick. Uh, the test would tell me that it's not COVID, but um, I don't want to freak any of you out. So uh, you're going to get me on video again and I do apologize uh, there's nothing I could do about it I suppose if I have to blame anyone I'll blame the drummer that was playing this morning um, before we start I just wanted to uh, let you in on a few things um, next Sunday we are having a baptism Sunday we've got a, a couple people interested in being baptized it is not too late if you are thinking that you'd like to know more about baptism and are wondering about being baptized, please email me, paul at newlifecollingwood.com, or you can call the church office. You'll find the number on our website, newlifecollingwood.com, and you can call and leave a message uh, on my line, and uh, I will follow up with you, and we can make that happen before next Sunday, um, if you're ready for that, of course. Also, just letting you know, on May 7th, it's a Saturday from 9 to 12, uh, I want to ask if you would personally take some time to come over to the church, a bunch of people together, and just help do some cleanup, both inside and outside, um, and we'll feed you at the end of the morning with a barbecued lunch. So there'll be more details coming up about that. And if you're new here and you're with us for the first time, and maybe that's a good Easter tradition for you, I would invite you to consider uh, journeying with us for the next few weeks. Try us out for a little bit and see what it's like, see what the experience is. And, uh, and for the rest of us, let's be the kind of family that people are looking for and make this a positive uh, journey experience for them. So I'm going to ask you to read the scriptures with me this morning. The Easter story that has been read over and over again and yet can still be fresh and exciting and vibrant. So I'm going to read from Luke, since we're following along in Luke's gospel this year, I'm going to read from Luke chapter 24, beginning at verse 1. But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. And as they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. And then the men asked them, Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He's risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee? That the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and then be crucified? And that he would rise again on the third day. And then they remembered that he had said this. So they rushed back to the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. Man, that is so typical of guys. That's not part of the text. However, Peter jumped up, ran to the tomb to look, and stooping, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings. And then he went home again, wondering what had happened. 
What a great story. For me, this is a beautiful story. Fyodor Dostoevsky wrote a book called The Idiot. And uh, the main character of this story, Prince Mishkin, at one point as he's having a conversation with another gentleman, uh, we're told that he's been saying, beauty will save the world. Beauty will save the world. So what does he mean by that? And that's what he's asked. <clears throat> you know, today on the stage, uh, and I would love to be there to point them out to you, we've put some paintings on the stage because people can look at a painting and say, that is beautiful. And as you look at the paintings on the stage this morning, I wonder which one you find most beautiful. And these have been a loan to us from two local artists, Jason Alexander and Peter Adams. And uh, I invite you after the service, come on up and, and take a closer look at them. Enjoy them while we have them here for the day. Paintings can be beautiful. Songs can be beautiful. We just sang some beautiful songs this morning, and I wish I could be there to hear those songs that you're singing. Ideas can be beautiful. Creeds or poems can be beautiful. We did a creed this morning, and I'm so glad we were able to do this version of, of the creed where we add what the comma implies. And it kind of leaves you with the question, what is beauty? Is there such a thing as pure, objective beauty that exists outside of ourselves? Or is beauty only a subjective experience? In other words, beauty is merely in the eye of the beholder. And uh, philosophers actually debate this. Like, what is beauty? Is it, can it be objective? Or is it merely subjective? And you will hear back and forth uh, on all of these ideas. For me personally, I think somehow beauty must exist beyond ourselves. If beauty doesn't exist outside of just the subjective experience of whatever one person thinks is beautiful compared to another person, then there's really no point to it. There's no meaning to it. It's just, I like that, you like that. And the whole idea of beauty seems to get lost. And I think these paintings here that we've put on the stage are just a representation of things that are beautiful. And, and you might look at them and think, hey, those aren't beautiful. This is beautiful. But they're meant to be symbolic of this idea of beauty, that beauty exists, that objective beauty exists. That something can be beautiful simply because there is such a thing as beauty. And yet objective beauty by itself, um, while uh, noble and wonderful, um, doesn't actually have any influence unless we're able to experience it. And that brings in the subjective reality of beauty, that beauty touches us at certain points, at certain moments in life. It exists as an objective reality, but it has meaning to us through our subjective experience. I think, I think we also sometimes understand beauty because of the exact opposite of beauty. We enjoy beauty because ultimately we, we live in a world that at times is devoid of it. I was thinking, what is the opposite of beauty? I'm not sure it's ugliness. 
Maybe it is, but I, I wonder if it could be like descriptions like uh, austere or austerity, the severely plain and simple, or even tragedy, that we live in a world where there are tragic things happening all the time and we understand them as tragic because they so deeply lack the beauty that we want to experience. And I think the Easter story um, addresses the complexity of life, that life can contain both tragedy or austerity or ugliness and beauty all at the same time. And what sometimes happens, and we probably wish it would happen more often than it does, is that in the midst of that tragedy or that austerity, beauty erupts. If I were to ask you to describe your life, you might use words uh, like tragic, or you, you might use words like beautiful. And I suspect that you would probably at some point use both of those words in the same sentence. And the irony of life is that it can be both tragic and beautiful at the same time that in the midst of tragedy erupts beauty that we never saw coming and catches us off guard and takes us by surprise. And I think the Easter story manages to straddle um, the complexity of this reality in life. That tragedy happens, and in the midst of that tragedy, we can be caught off guard with the beauty that, that can erupt from it. And so when Prince Mishkin says, you know, beauty will save the world, we might be left asking, well, what kind of beauty? A painting? Uh, a really good uh, poem? A beautiful song? A sonnet? And I think for me, what makes the Easter story so compelling is that it moves from the abstract of beauty, that it acknowledges the objective reality of beauty, but that that beauty is, is incarnated for us, not in a painting, not in a book, not in a poem, not in a song, but in a person the Easter story is beautiful because beauty is incarnated in the person of Jesus. And beauty will save the world because it meets us most fully and most eminently in a person that we know as Jesus. The, and the, the center of this story, which makes it so profoundly beautiful, which allows the abstract, objective reality of beauty to touch us moment by moment, rests in the fact that the beauty incarnated in a person is not something that was, it is something that is, because the one who makes it beautiful is still living, and he is still incarnating himself amongst his followers and amongst people who are searching for him moment by moment. That the objective reality of beauty incarnated in the person of Jesus is able to subjectively influence us and touch us moment by moment because he is still alive. The Easter story, the story that we just read here this morning, begins with tragedy, but it ends 
with beauty. And when I talk about an Easter story, I'm, I'm not talking about something that we've fabricated. I'm not talking about uh, some kind of mythology or fiction. It is a story that is rooted in history. It is rooted in a person, and it is both tragic and beautiful at the same time. And I was just wanting to walk you through the story. My throat is really dry, so I'm just going to lubricate it here for a moment. Beauty will save the world. At the end of, of Luke 23, we're reading about the death of Jesus, and his followers are devastated. This man that they had put all their hopes in, they have watched him be publicly executed before their very eyes, and they watched him die. And that is tragic. They are so devastated. And then the very first verses that I've read for you this morning from Luke 24, these women go to the tomb. These devastated women are going to a cemetery to find a dead person. And instead, they find someone who's living. These two men who, who we would, you know, as, as outside observers, we understand them to be angels. And they're saying to them, you're looking for a dead person, but he's not here. He is alive. And that is beauty erupting from tragedy. And when that happens, it is often disarming and it's, it creates confusion and even a kind of dissonance within us. And you see this happening in the story, this amazing story that, that begins with tragedy of, of this one being killed on a cross. And now they're looking for his body and they can't find it. And you can see the beauty beginning to to shoot out of the soil of tragedy. And they are completely puzzled. And as the angels talk to them in verses 5 and 6, you get the idea that they had forgotten what Jesus had told them. So the angel says to them, uh, He's not here. He has risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee. And as you read through Luke's gospel three times, uh, Jesus actually tells his followers that he is going to be killed and that he is going to rise again on the third day. And they had forgotten. They had forgotten what Jesus had told them. And I was like, good, because there are things I forget. And I need him to remind me of those things because there are times when I'm feeling devastated and puzzled and confused. And, and God in his mercy says, Paul, remember what Jesus said? And then beauty begins to erupt in my own life again. And we're told in verse 8, they remembered what he had said. And the moment they remembered, the flowers just start coming forth because they run back to the disciples and a bunch of other people that are there with them. And they tell them the story. So they had forgotten, but they remembered. And then they begin to tell the beautiful story of Jesus. And Luke is so great and so honest when he says, the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. And it's like, that is just like a man, isn't it? Women, thank you for so often being the catalyst of faith that, that we men need as we follow Jesus together in community. 
But I am so excited to see how this this beauty takes root in the soil of tragedy and the flowers and the fruit are forming as the women are running back and they're telling the disciples, he's not there, he's alive, we know it, there's no body. The angels were there, they told us what had happened, we've forgotten about it, but now it all makes sense. And for the rest of this chapter, you just see um, beauty erupting more and more as as they begin to comprehend what is happening and as they are getting more and more excited, Jesus was dead and now he's missing. And as you read through the story, he shows up and he shows up in person. And, and maybe one of the most profound things in this story in this last chapter is when Jesus shows up in person and he catches them off guard and they're remembering all these events that have happened in the past few days. And I wonder how frightened they were, not only of the, the people that had killed Jesus who were looking for them, but the fact that Jesus is there, the one that they abandoned, that they left, that they betrayed, and now he's standing amongst them. And I wonder if they're thinking, he's going to lay into us. And the very first words out of his mouth in verse 36 of Luke 24 is this, peace be with you. This story just gets more and more beautiful. And then the rest of this story is them coming to realization that their Lord is alive, that he'd risen from the dead. And they begin to comprehend all the implications of that. And then in volume two in the book of Acts, you see, you see the beauty of the gospel story spreading its branches more and more out of the soil of tragedy. The story starts with tears and it ends with celebration. It starts with death and it ends with resurrection and life. It starts with the tragic and it ends with the beautiful. It begins with a crucifixion and a cross and it ends with an empty tomb and a risen Lord. Beauty from tragedy and somehow God is doing all of this. And for me, the cross is a symbol of beauty because of what it represents, the beautiful heart of God. And the empty tomb has meaning because of the cross. And it also verifies the one who came down from it. For millions of people today, the cross is a symbol of beauty. Isn't that odd? That a, that a symbol of execution is something that we look at as beautiful. Beauty that comes from tragedy. And as you think through the Easter story, darkness becomes the light of seeing. Burial preparation becomes a celebration for life. Fear becomes courageous witnessing. Confusion becomes confidence. Tragedy becomes beauty. The cross is a symbol of beauty. And I would finish with this. I think we need to be careful in the church that we don't turn the cross back into a symbol of ugliness in the way that we use it. And I wonder if it's time for us to rethink how we tell the story of Jesus, how we live out the story of Jesus. But so often we, we want to go to people with answers to the questions that we think we, they have. 
only to find out so often that they're not even asking those questions anymore. And the answers we're bringing are for questions they don't even have. And maybe we need to uh, rethink how much we focus on, on the goodness of God or the goodness of people because there are so many people that are good who have no profession of faith in Jesus. And of course, we have different understandings about what is good and what is not. And I wonder if it would be helpful for us if we began to embrace the beauty of the cross, the beauty of Jesus, the beauty of the story of good news in Jesus. I wonder if people would appreciate more experiencing the beauty of his followers than their answers or their goodness. Brian Zond, a pastor and author, he's written a book, um, Beauty Will Save the World. And he writes this, where, where truth and goodness fail to win an audience, beauty may once again captivate and draw those it enchants into the kingdom of saving grace. And then he writes this, it is possible to tell the Christian story in terms of beauty because the story of Jesus Christ is breathtakingly beautiful. And I so appreciate that. It leaves me asking this question, where in the world is God wanting to create beauty from tragedy? And what is our part in that? Maybe our part in the beautiful story of Easter is to stop turning it into a formula for salvation. Maybe our part of the Easter story is to stop using it as an inner out ultimatum. And maybe our part of the Easter story is to sing the song of Jesus, to harmonize with how God can bring beauty from tragedy. Maybe our part is to be the painting of reconciliation for the world to admire. Maybe our part in the Easter story is to live out the story of a king who loves so much that he lives with his people instead of ruling them remotely, who loves so much that he endures the rejection of his people and death at their hands so that he might destroy the evil that enticed them to reject him in the first place. Maybe our part is to live out the story of a king who takes our sin upon himself so that it can be destroyed within us and we can turn to him and enjoy the relationship we were meant to have. Maybe our part in the Easter story is to be a catalyst for beauty in this world, in this country, in this town, in your living room. So I ask you again, where in the world is God wanting to create beauty from tragedy because this is such a beautiful story that has touched so many of us. And if we can spot the places where God is wanting to do that, and I think that they are many, maybe then we can join him. And maybe we can begin to fathom the wonder of how tragedy be can be transformed into the beautiful. Just to quote from Zahn again, he says, The task of the church is to creatively and faithfully sing songs of the Lamb in the midst of a world founded upon the beastly principles of greed and decadence and violence. And what is needed is not an ugly protest, but a beautiful song, not a pragmatic system, but a transcendent symphony. Why? Because God is more like a musician 
than a manager. He's more like a composer than a clerk keeping ledgers. So where is God wanting to create beauty from tragedy? Because we see it in the Easter story, and I think the Easter story is exactly what he's wanting to see happening over and over again, moment by moment. And so there's the obvious things, like the war zone in Ukraine. But did you know that the very same kind of events are taking place in places like Ethiopia, Yemen, Syria, Afghanistan? So why are we so fixated on a European country and not those other ones? I'll leave you to ponder that. God wants to create beauty from tragedy in the homes of those who are grieving the loss of loved ones, in the minds of those that are battling depression and anxiety, in the hearts of those who are full of rage and hatred towards those that are close to them, in the streets where drugs are sold along with boys and girls, in the tent villages where people who have lost everything now wonder where the next meal is going to come from. Anywhere people are suffering from the actions of others are opportunities for beauty to erupt out of the soil of tragedy. And I think it's safe to assume that God wants to do that through his followers. And he's inviting us to paint with him, to sing with him, to rhyme with him, to create with him. Because we know from the Easter story that Jesus has made it so plainly true. Beauty will save the world. And my prayer for you, rather than praying a prayer, is I'm going to leave you with a benediction that I've found. Um, It's a little video, and it's going to be our benediction as we go out with a reminder that beauty will save the world and it meets us most fully and eminently in the person of Jesus. Amen.